I think that that's what's really great to me about working with like an African-American lead is that we have these thoughts, you know, <laughs> we like nerdy things or we like all types of stuff and we get to show it. For people who probably wouldn't have thought that, which is ridiculous, <laughs> it's humanizing us, you know, to them. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Ray Mendoza Landa, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Deshaun Mahone. He is an African-American story artist working as a supervising director at Cartoon Network. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hey everyone. Uh, as Yuki said, I am Deshaun Mahone. Uh, yeah, I'm from uh, Patterson, New Jersey, originally, uh, and I'm, you know, I found my way out here in California, directing. I've always been a someone who liked to draw, specifically comics, uh, and somehow I ended up <laughs> in, in animation, uh, and it's it's pretty it's been pretty great. I still can't believe I'm here. Um, let's see some <laughs> other stuff about me. I really like video games. Sorry, I just turned into like a dating profile. Uh, I have a. a <laughs> A uh, good small disclaimer, I have a puppy now uh, named Knuckles, so hopefully he won't, he's sleeping on my lap right now, he's being good, but hopefully so damn he's not picking up his <laughs> snoring and it's not, he's not going to wake up and then just get upset. I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be edited out, but he's here. <laughs> he's so cute. But before we get into the interview... The way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them, and then let us know why. Hmm, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the only part that we are going to catch you off guard. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, a game? <laughs> yeah. like no, that's cool. Yeah. Just, just to calm the nerves, just a fun little icebreaker before we jump Ooh. into it. I'll start us off with the first question. Which sharply dressed gentleman would you rather accompany on their mission? Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop or Lupin the Third from Lupin the Third? Mm. I think Lupin. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, okay. I, think, I think Lupin because uh, uh, we're gonna have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spike is very sharply dressed and he's cool. Uh, but I feel like I'm going to get shot and Spike's not going to care. Uh, I was going to say, it's probably like, even though like Lupin's going to be up to some thievery, I feel like it's normally, it's usually super well thought out where you should be safe. Mm -hmm. I feel like trying to catch criminals with Spike is super, super dangerous. With Lupin, you are the criminal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like a bunch of, bunch of criminals. <laughs> but at least they're having a good time. No, totally, totally. <laughs> Oh man, what else? What else about Lupin made you choose over Spike? Do you think Lupin's more sharply dressed? I think so. I'm maybe that's a controversial opinion, but I think Lupin <laughs> is is very sharply dressed. And no offense to Spike, but like Spike looks cool. But have you considered what Spike might smell like? Because they <laughs> they're always broke, and he and he's always wearing the same outfit. I think Lupin has multiple of the outfits he's wearing. And he probably wears a very expensive cologne. That's what I was thinking, the <laughs> yeah. cologne. Yeah, I think he smells better. Uh, and Spike, I think he looks cool, but I think you would walk up to him and you'd be like, what? Like, there's a, there's a whiff of something. And, you know, he's like, I can't afford 
I, I don't know. But is there water in the sh- Well, I think Faye took showers. But did Spike? Did we see Spike? I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I mean, they got her, right? On their <laughs> ship? They got the her. But I, I think that, you know, like Spike's always working out too. I'm, I'm probably ruining Spike for people. <laughs> so funny. Spike is cool. I saw that post on your Twitter of like, you ever think about what superheroes smell like you're still thinking about that that's like the deciding factor look i'm just saying like you know <laughs> like we're always just watching with our eyes but you just gotta consider the other senses in the moment that's a valid point i feel like when it comes to doing these in between questions oftentimes we don't consider scent yeah i was like because we're all you know we're watching things in anime and stuff it's all like we're just looking and we're like yeah it would be so cool to, to be there you know hang out with them or something but like if Superman was saving me, well, Superman would smell great. I'm not going to go into it. I already did all this on the, <laughs> on the tweet. But Superman would smell fine because he doesn't work up a sweat. But yeah, you know, like the other, some of them might not smell great. Like, I, I bet Goku smells awful. Like, oh, you no, don't totally, want to totally. go anywhere near him. Like, <laughs> like I'm saying, he's cool, but you don't, what? Come on. Vegeta probably smells great, though. Because what? whoa, I, you think okay, all right. I, he I works disagree out, though. He works out more, but consider the fact that Bulma doesn't want to smell him. Like I think Chi Chi is probably like okay with Goku's natural musk, you know? True, she's a mountain girl. Also, between the two characters, we've seen a lot more shower scenes with Vegeta than we have Goku. <laughs> See? I'm saying he Vegeta is actually a couple of Vegeta shower scenes. So we know he showers. Yeah. Like Goku, I think Goku only gets, you know, he takes a bath, you know. Well, he we've seen him taking a bath. Yes, he's done it. But I feel like he mostly just goes in the water to swim. I don't think he he's like really considering those baths as much as like Vegeta, you know. Or to relax. Yeah, like Vegeta he has a whole family, you know, like Bulma, her parents, you know, like he has to walk around like and Bulma's not going to be quiet about that. She's going to be like, you smell terrible. Go watch. <laughs> and she's going to listen because he's, he's a good dad and a good husband. <laughs> going to listen. For real. Yeah. No, totally right, that's true. My, that's my very, uh, you know. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I like how this guy merged <laughs> into who smells better, Vegeta or Goku? <laughs> this, is a, this is a really good answer, though. All right, let's get to the last question then. Which flying companion would you rather have watching your back? Carpet from Aladdin or Tails the Fox from Sonic? <gasps> Tails. <laughs> I was that's, too that's, easy. <laughs> I, know, I know. You might think because of how fast I answered, but it was tough. Because when you said Aladdin or a carpet from Aladdin, I definitely was like carpet from Aladdin. But then you said Tails. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Um, I, the heel turn. Yeah, it was. It was a. Uh, it was a quick decision, but there was a lot happening in that moment. <laughs> I was like considering all the possibilities. Yeah, when I was a kid, I loved the uh, carpet from Aladdin. Um, I wanted one, uh, and but also <laughs> I love tails. So I was like, oh, um, I think I can have a conversation with tails, and tails just have my back. So um, he wouldn't be able to carry me very long, but. I, I see. For, I guess that's for, true. for that reason, I would I would go with carpet. I feel like you can at least fit two people on carpet, and <laughs> it doesn't look like there's like a like a fuel gauge or like a, a limit to how long you can ride mm. carpet. I feel like with tails, eventually he will get tired and like just like set you down. Even if he eat, if he's even able to carry you, that's true. That's true. 
But hey, he's trying his best. <laughs> he's got so Kels much is spirit. your friend. <laughs> he's doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and argue, but consider the fact, too, that Tails is a genius. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He might be able to build you a carpet. That's true. That's true. You I'm just kidding. have a cool, like, tech friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like, built you a carpet. It's like, you could have built me a plane. Why did you build a <laughs> How did you build a carpet? <laughs> he probably would do that too, right? Like, why didn't you just make a normal thing? No, no, no. Yeah. It's a flying carpet. It's a flying carpet. But I, I feel like, but if he built me a plane, where am I going to like store the plane? I, a carpet can just like roll up into my closet. That's true. <laughs> or just act as a duvet on like my, on my bed, like, <laughs> and it's done. <laughs> I, love I love that you'd have a flying duvet. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, carpet's my best friend now. <laughs> on top of him sleeping. <laughs> Commute to work. <laughs> Dude, that would be such a cool commute to work just on the carpet. Think how like fuel efficient I would be. Very green. <laughs> Starting to rethink my answer a little bit. Okay. Whoa, I'm, I'm gonna uh, I'll stick with Tails though. <laughs> I like standing next to Tails. Tails is like I heard I heard the podcast. So I'm like, yeah, listen, they're making some good points, okay? What do you <laughs> Where am I gonna put the plane, Tails? Looks <laughs> like I have a small apartment. Yeah, not in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was in between. Thanks so much for playing with it, Deshaun. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had some fun. That was fun. I want to play that more. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we have to segue into the interview. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. If you enjoyed today's in between questions, let us know your responses. Or if you have any future suggestions for in between questions, contact us on social media. Without further ado, let's jump into this. You are currently working as a supervising director at Cartoon Network. Can you tell us like what kind of duties and responsibilities comes with that kind of leadership role? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when I was a storyboard artist, mostly just responsible for my board, you know, and making sure that that was done and ready to hand in. But as a supervising director, my job is to make sure a board from the board artist teams, I follow it throughout the entire production. So you know, when they hand it in, or we're actually checking with them, making sure the board is going well, you know, they have any questions or anything we can help them with, you know, and after it goes to that stage, you know, I'm supposed to check it, make sure it's good for network. Uh, we send it off to them, they give notes, comes back, and then we start to get it prepared for records, get it ready for animatics, or going into design breakdowns and making sure that everything is looking good for it. Yeah, so we're we're overseeing pretty much everything. And then when it comes back, post-production side, we uh, are making sure that, oh, how's the animation looking? You know, giving notes on that to the animators overseas. Lots of checking, <laughs> just checking, going back and forth, back and forth. We were actually going to mixes as well. Digitally, anyway, we were <laughs> online. But mm-hmm. mm. overseeing mixes, making sure that the audio coming out right as well. Choosing sounds and folly for the episodes. And yeah, it's like watching it or overseeing it rather go from the beginning stage outline all the way to finished uh, animation. Mm. Yeah. And that's at least on, you know, when I was on Craig supervising, that was what I was responsible for. It was pretty fun, but definitely eye opening because when I was only storyboarding, you know, just hand it in and then uh, I would blink and then it's a finished episode. But seeing it all (laughs) go through is definitely... It's very rewarding and very like 
very interesting because a lot of things that you don't catch or you don't know as a storyboard artist, you know, you you start to see from the perspective of other people in the production, you know, like, oh, how is design going to interpret this? You know, it makes you realize, oh, you know, like uh, maybe we could, you know, like what was the storyboard artist's intent? So it's important to be, you know, at pitches so that you can see what their intent was uh, for something like that. And that way you can convey that to the designers because maybe they're not able to come to it, you know, even in the voice records, you know, how did the storyboard artist pitch it, you know? Maybe that's something we could bring to the records themselves so that the voice actors know, oh, this was kind of the intent, you know, like mm -hmm. because you're overseeing every single part of the production itself, like you're kind of that person, like that anchor to keep it, that vision solid throughout, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's really rewarding. One of the cool things about it was since I was supervising directing on Craig, I got to see my own episodes. Like I had a, my board partner and I, Naja, we did... I'd say in this recent season, we did two episodes mm. oh, wow. uh, as storyboard artists before we moved over to supervising directors and uh, we we're able to, you know, we boarded those. And then when we became directors, <laughs> we were able to see our own episodes go through. And that was kind of like how we trained, you know, into this position, mm. um, seeing our own episodes. So it was really easy for those because like we knew what our idea and intent was um, and choosing different things and, you know, what to cut, what to keep, which jokes to like solidify which ones were like oh yeah you know we can move on from that one or you know oh this was what it was like but yeah it was it was definitely cool i'm saying it was i mean it is <laughs> directing <laughs> but uh yeah it's definitely much more responsibility because you are communicating a lot more you know helping different people they're coming to you for questions and stuff like that i would say it's it requires a different mindset, but it's not as difficult as I initially thought going in. I will say with honesty that I was very nervous about the position when I was offered mm -hmm. because uh, I'm more mm -hmm. of a, like, I like to do the art side of things. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can be like a leader type person, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm still here. So, I have no complaints. Actually, on that, so I know, I know with a role like supervising director, it, it involves like a lot of meetings and stuff. How much drawing are you actually doing now in that role versus when you were, were a board artist full-time? Mm, that's a good question. Far less, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but still, you know, a decent amount. Like, at least maybe it's something, I, I don't, I can't speak to other productions, so maybe it's something like it depends on the director, you know, how much drawing they're doing. Mm. I mean, I've been working with, at least when I was on Craig, I've been working with teams since we'd all been there pretty much since the beginning, so... You know, mm. they have pretty high trust and like their abilities. Everyone's so good. So, didn't mm. have to do a lot to keep up with them, you know. So, it was just here and there. Like if there was something they missed or the biggest thing was we were trying to make sure nobody was getting burnt out. So, it was like if you can't get to this, we will absolutely take a section, you know. Mm. And that's mostly what we would get to, you know. We would get to that or in the revision side, uh, there was a point where we were really helping out by keeping up with things that had to be caught on the back end, you know. So, far less drawing, not nearly as much as a board artist because they're doing a ton, you know. They're just for sure. In, in a mm -hmm. short amount of time. But, uh, yeah, far less drawing for sure. But I find that 
uh, you know, I've been boarding for like three seasons, so I was not uh, opposed to. They're like, oh yeah, far less drawing, sure. <laughs> a little, a little good uh, to me. spent yeah. on drawing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, give my arms a rest. Oh, on top of, well, I guess we could talk about it later, but I have side projects as well, so I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. good. It's free up my uh, wrist a bit. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Just a really quick, so supervising director would be under a director. Or like, what is kind of the hierarchy of command, I guess? I would say that I only really know on Craig and I Mm -hmm. know that uh, there was no like higher up on top of us. We were just, Mm. that was the title that we were giving. I would say like, if anything, like the creators were kind of the true directors, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but I think in other productions, I think it is like supervising is under the director. The thing is with us, like, because it's board driven and the, it's much more um, focused from the storyboard artists themselves, you know, not really like telling them what to do, you know, mm-hmm. kind of got, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, there's a lot of trust and like, we're leaving it to them to figure stuff out. So mm-hmm. yeah, if anything, I felt more like we were just like everyone's a big brother <laughs> just coming in. You need, help? you need help? I got you. I got you. You know, like, it's kind of <laughs> like that. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. I think supervising director is usually like, as far as on the storyboarding side, the story side is the top role. Under that would be episode director and then it would be, you know, the board artists themselves. So one of the other things I also want to get into is that uh, we're talking about like what you're doing now and where you have got into in your career working animation. But how did it originally start? How did you first get your start working in the animation industry? Oh, yeah, that's a very interesting story. So I... uh I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. This was, no, I went to school out there, our Institute of Atlanta. I didn't finish because it's too expensive, but uh, I was out there <laughs> 2010 to 2014. Mm. In that time, I met a few friends online and one of them, uh, Andre, he was saying that I could come out and, you know, stay with him for a bit. And, you know, if I did that, then maybe I could find something out here or, but the- In Los thing, Angeles? Yeah, in Los Angeles. Uh. And uh, the big thing, though, was that he had uh, a project of his own. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I want to help you work on that as well. So, you know, I came out here and I was staying with him for a bit. Uh, that was at the tail end of 2014. Like, I think that was in October when mm-hmm. I came out to L.A. And, yeah, I was out here for a bit. And, you know, it was just like spending time with him, networking, meeting people, like going to sketch meetups and stuff like that. So, I was meeting a lot of people when I... Uh, started to, my funds started to run out. I was like, I had to make a decision to, you know, either stay or look for something. And I liked California, so I was deciding to, you know, look for something. I really, I had very low uh, confidence in my ability to get like an industry job. I just didn't mm. think I was ready yet because I, I didn't really know much about it. I just knew that yeah, I could draw, but I don't know <laughs> how to do things. But, uh, you know, I was looking for regular jobs and I had gotten recommended by a friend at Oddbot Studios. And uh, yeah, they were willing to try me out as a storyboard revisionist uh, for their production, um, Star Darlings. And Mm. yeah, it it was just funny because the timing of that was so perfect because I legit had like a hundred something dollars (laughs) left. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah, I was, it was pretty much like, uh, I'm probably going to have to move back to my mom's place or something. But the timing of it was so perfect. Uh, that I was like, wow. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I got that and I was very, very nervous when I was doing it. So I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, it worked out, you know, and through that, 
you know, I was working there for, I always forget the amount of months. So if I say, if it's not consistent with other people I've told, I'm sorry, I just forget the number, but it was a few months (laughs) anyway. But uh, yeah, at one point there was like a call, like Cartoon Network for people. And I tried that out, but I didn't hear back. But then I remember hearing back from like a recruiter at the time. And they asked me if I wanted to test for Ben 10. And I did. I was already working. So, I felt very like, oh, you know, if I get it, cool. But I actually am cool with Oddbot. Uh, and and I got it. So, I was like, oh, wow. So, uh, that, was, uh, that was the Ben 10 reboot back in 2015. So, yeah, I was able to get the storyboard job for that. And it was very quick. My trajectory as far as career has mm-hmm. just zoomed after that because, you know, I worked on Ben 10 for two seasons straight. And then after that, I heard about Craig and I got asked to come on to Craig. I tested for mm-hmm. that and I got it and worked on Craig, you know, for like <laughs> three seasons. Uh, I had a few <clears throat> freelance projects during that time. And yeah, then they promoted me <laughs> as well. So I was like, wow, uh, things have been going really well. Man, that's really yeah, awesome. Sailing. Yeah. One of, the, one of the things I also kind of want to ask is that so yeah, you started as a revisionist at Audubon on Star Darlings, and then you transitioned to board artist on Ben 10. Um, we, we always kind of talk about the transition from like, you know, revisionist to board artist. But the thing I'm actually curious about more is how was that transition from your first job to the second? Because I think when we bring on a lot of guests on, we talk about their first couple jobs or the industry and their transition from like one field to the next. But like, yeah, transitioning, like how comfortable did you feel like after working at Autobot going to the second job? And did you feel prepared? Did you feel ready? Did you feel confident? Or was it, were you, or were you a little nervous? Oh, I was absolutely nervous. I, um, <laughs> uh, and it's not to put shade or anything on Autobot because I really enjoyed my time there. But when it was like Cartoon Network, you know, there, there is just that, uh, you know, like juvenile kind of like, wow, it's Cartoon Network. So I yeah, was like, studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I don't want to um, mess this up. And, you know, everybody's, mm-hmm. seen, you know, I went to have an interview with the director and the showrunner uh, and they were cool. They seemed like they were really fond of me. So, I was like, I really don't want to mess this up. And I was trying to play it cool, but I was definitely a newbie. Like, for instance, I was asked about my wage, you know, like what mm-hmm. I preferred. And I just kind of said like, oh, you know, this amount, I forget. I said something so ridiculous and the uh, ridiculously low or ridiculously high ridiculously low and uh. the production coordinator was like oh well we were thinking about paying you this and it was just you know it was the minimum rate for guilds and i was like mm-hmm. what <laughs> <laughs> i was like what that much wow because you know i mean uh i was making a decent amount i bought but that was mm-hmm. it wasn't union so yeah, mm-hmm. the minimum rate was such a drastic jump. I was like, what? I had never uh, been able to, oh, prior to that, I'd never seen that much money. And I couldn't even comprehend it because even when uh, what little loans I owed started to come mm-hmm. after me <laughs> after that, I thought, I was like, I can't, they were asking for so much. I was like, I can't pay that. And then when I did the math, I was like, oh, wait, I can absolutely pay that. Because <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I just wasn't thinking about how much I was making. But, uh, yeah, I was definitely nervous and it was a much bigger jump as far as responsibilities. And I was still learning about the industry and mm. how to board in general. You know, I was I was revising and I had done a few one minute shorts on Star Darlings, but nothing too crazy. And our director there, Yvette, 
Kathleen, I think she was very hands-on, so she was helping me out. So Ben 10, where they were just kind of like, all right, get to work. Well, well, you know, we'll see your stuff next week. And I was like, what? <laughs> I have to figure this out on my own. I don't even know how to use the program. Uh, so I learned, I learned Storyboard Pro as I was, you know, boarding the episode as well. Because uh, I was yeah. like, I don't want to mess this up. So I, at least, you know, I was definitely nervous, but I had the, the tenacity, I guess, to be like, well, I'm going to figure this out. I'm not going to just crumble, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was definitely nerve wracking. And thinking back on it too, what I pitched must have been ridiculous to my director, but he was very patient. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I think uh, it worked out, you know, but yeah, definitely some learning curves there. Did you have a board partner helping you at that time? Yes, actually. Mm. Uh, my board partner on Ben 10 was Dina Beck. And oh. Dina and I are still, you know, we're still friends and close and she's on Craig uh, mm-hmm. currently. So yeah, she had experience in the industry, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. though. But she was, I think she was like from New York. She was like an animator. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if she had done boards, but yeah, like once we, she and I started to gel as like board partners. Yeah. We were coming up with some really wacky episode <laughs> ideas and stuff. Uh, and I think our director was probably like, what? These two are ridiculous, but we, we, you know, we had a good time and we were having other people laugh and stuff at our jokes and episodes. So uh, it was great. I mean, I really enjoyed my time on Benton. I'm curious, uh, since we're talking about like transitions and stuff like that, now you're working on Jessica's Big Little World, but what's that like kind of working on a spinoff show that's like intended for a much younger audience? Because it's going to be on Cartoonito, which I guess is their like kids, like mm-hmm. little kids uh, section for Cartoon Network. Yeah. Yeah. That This is very, very interesting. When I was proposed the idea, I was like, oh, preschool. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but it was, you know, it took place in the Craig universe and, you know, I, I like Jessica, you know, as a character and, um, Jessica's a very fun character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany Ford uh, is a close friend of mine too. So when she asked personally, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I want to help. But I would say like the transition is interesting. We're trying to keep the same vibe and feel of Craig, mm-hmm. even though it's for preschoolers. Um, and the biggest challenge, but I think we're nailing it is that we're hitting that spot you know where it's like yes it is for younger kids but we're not trying to make it like oh this is abc one two three type stuff you know we're still mm-hmm. trying to tell like genuine stories and it's about jessica wanting to be a big kid and mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting and cool because we have a whole other show to go off of so like characters are figured out you know mm-hmm. um, a lot of the locations are figured out so the biggest thing is just like that particular bit of how can we get this, like, how can we make Jessica's character come through for this very younger audience, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's been a challenge, but I think we're doing pretty good. Uh, Mm -hmm. Can't wait for people to see it. I think that's all I could talk about um, until, (laughs) you know, without them coming for me. Yeah, really excited. No, yeah, no worries. I mean, I have so many questions, but I know that you probably cannot answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But to kind of continue on that topic, though, from Craigler Creek to now Jessica's Big Little World, uh, what has it been like working on shows with black leads alongside with uh, other fellow black creatives? Oh, it's been it's been amazing. Uh, I I know that that's not the norm, you know, for a lot of people, but oh, it's totally. been my norm for like a while now. And it's it's just been a really, really rewarding experience that I've made like what I believe are lifelong friends, you know, 
working on these shows and it's just been just great, you know, like being able to talk to my friends and everything about our friends slash coworkers, you know, about different things that are on our minds, you know, like able to tell these really specific stories. And that, you know, I want to give credit to Matt and Ben as well. They're very, very receptive mm -hmm. and very like, uh, they're just the coolest dudes, you know, like they give us that mm -hmm. space um, mm -hmm. to let us, you know, tell these stories. And I mean, it shows, you know, like everyone watches Craig of the Creek, regardless of their ethnicity or anything, you know, they're loving it because it's just mm -hmm. genuine they, because we all are able to put ourselves into it. Everyone. Yeah. It's just a really, really wonderful crew. That's why it's been very difficult. It's not like I haven't been offered lots of opportunities while I've mm -hmm. been uh, working mm -hmm. here, but it's just hard to say goodbye to these people. I really like care about them. So yeah, like uh, yeah. I love yeah, And that, that extends even outside of, you know, just the working with fellow, uh, african-american black artists you know it's the whole crew in general uh but yes that particular thing oh it's amazing uh, it's <laughs> like yeah uh when i first came out here you know you know i didn't see a ton of black artists you know uh and i think even mm -hmm. social media wise it wasn't a big thing i feel like now a lot of uh, african-american black artists are you know like yeah you know they're claiming it on social media and it's great mm -hmm. <clears throat> but it's wild because it wasn't that long ago, but I feel like that just wasn't the climate. So when I came out here, yeah. it definitely didn't seem like that. I felt very like, oh, you know, I guess I'm that black friend. Uh, but it started <laughs> to um, branch out. So it's nice uh, that, you know, it's not the reality anymore. Like there's so many of us out here. Uh, and it's great. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I love Craig the Creek and I'm glad that there is a show like that for like, you know, young kids of color. It's just a, such a good show. It's such a fun show. It's like just kind of like quickly, like it just reminds me of like of recess back in the day, you know, mm -hmm. like recess, like again, kids, just their imagination out on the playground and stuff. But like, it's pretty much that, but in the Creek and it's like even more wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love, I love like just the premise in general, because we're focusing on the kids that we could just get so wacky, you know? Um, and I think that that's, what's really great to me about, working with like an African-American lead is that we, we have these thoughts, you know, it was like, yeah, we watch anime. That's not a surprise now. I'm pretty sure everybody knows that, but it's like, yeah, or we, we like nerdy things or, oh, or we, or we like all types of stuff and we get to show it, mm -hmm. you know, through Craig and his family. It's weird to say, and I, I want to make sure I say this in a way that doesn't like, I don't know, for people who probably wouldn't have thought that which is ridiculous <laughs> it's humanizing us yeah, you know yeah. to them um you know i think it's more important that for the kids you know kids that are watching the show and growing up and they're seeing like a positive portrayal of a black kid you know they're not gonna grow up thinking that we're like some ruffian or something i don't know like portrayals in the media mm -hmm. hasn't always been great we all know that so it's like it's good that there's a positive one and there's mm -hmm. more uh three-dimensional one as opposed to just like you know oh uh i didn't want to call out um a character from a show but you know <laughs> mm -hmm. there's a there's a no, particular think, trope no, <laughs> that, yeah that gets shown a lot i think what you're saying is it's humanizing it's that's really like hitting the nail on the head because like sure there are some like black characters in like cartoons and media and stuff like that but if if the only black character portrayal you have is like oh they like hip hop music and uh, they uh, are from the city or whatever, um, mm. it's it's like well 
no, they're just like another people and they exist and they have other interests like anime and fighting games and like any of this other stuff. And they have a big crazy family just like you. I don't mm. know. Like, yeah, it's like exactly. Just showing all of those different interests and stuff. Yeah. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really cool too because, you know, there's nothing even wrong with that, you know, but it's like mm-hmm. having, and that's why it's so good about Craig and his family and just his friends that we show is like, there's more than one, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, that's the big thing I feel like. And it, I think it applies to any marginalized group or, you know, ethnicity or anything. It's like when you only have one, that's the one that is like, okay, all of the, everything is falling on that one character. Mm-hmm. But when you have multiple characters and it's like, okay, yeah. So they can like this. Or, oh, he likes this or she likes that, you know, it's like, oh, it's, <laughs> wait, what? They can like multiple things. You know, that's like, uh, yeah, multifaceted so, person. Yeah. Oh. It's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't think that was possible. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's really important. I love that aspect of the show a ton. One of the things I kind of want to comment on too, just kind of on the topic of like, not just having that one representation or having like a, a multitude, like, cause there, there's even like a couple of uh, Hispanic characters in Craig of the Creek. And like one of, one of the moments I really enjoyed the most was in the episode where Kelsey has a uh, wilderness and stacks meat. And then mm-hmm. they find out that they're both Hispanic and they start talking in Spanish to each other. That's mm. such a thing that we do when I learn somebody else is like <laughs> Hispanic or speak Spanish. Instantly, I start talking to them in Spanish and like there's just a little quick bond. And so just seeing that moment, I was like, I totally relate. I totally do that as well. <laughs> so just that was like some nice authenticity to me that I really, really enjoyed about about that episode. And even though Kelsey does get jealous and stuff, it's just like <laughs> that moment. I was like, oh, that's good. I love that. Yeah. I, I first I want to say I love that you said that. That's amazing. Uh, I'm so glad that you know the show was able to have that moment for you. You know, like it's it's so good. And I remember when that part was discussed in the uh, in the room, and like that it was just so. So I remember thinking the same thing. That is cool. Like, what other shows really do that? You know, like uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love that Kelsey was jealous too because that's <laughs> it shows more dimension. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. I think it's one thing to be authentic, you know, and another thing to be like too nice, you know, or, or just like you don't want it to feel like an after school special sort of like preachy thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. like a, a way that could have gone is like that wouldn't have been the plot, you know, and it would just happen. And then Kelsey's like, I like that y'all are do, you know, like that's yeah. who wants to hear that. It's like it's mm-hmm. a real mm-hmm. thing of you know, a real moment uh, that makes Kelsey, it's like in real life, somebody would probably be like, oh, I feel left out. But that's not really <laughs> the thing, you know, it's like this moment is real. And it's like, you can, maybe you're somebody who relates to Kelsey in that moment. <laughs> you probably shouldn't, but it's like, mm-hmm. it makes you feel seen. But then also in that moment, Wildernessa and Stax is also like, that's a real thing. You know, it's just like it's showing reality. I think that that's yeah. what's really good. Mm-hmm about the show so to kind of continue on this topic of like you know talking about like you know the cultural aspects or like the authenticity in in creek the creek and just in the stuff they've been working on in general how does like your cultural background influence your work whether personally or professionally um well i would say it's like how it's just in everything i do you know i guess I, i put a lot of myself into my work you know like things that i've learned experiences i've had i feel like I've been told that a lot of my characters are are literally just me, you know, the way I write the characters. <laughs> I, I just like, I was with them because that's just 
how I approach it.、Mm. But yeah, like my experiences growing up have really shaped me. So it's hard not to put myself into it. And there have been some episode ideas even that, like, I pitched to Craig and or the Craig team, and you know, we've sent them through, you know, and it, it worked out. For example, like Cousin of the Creek was one that. I had the idea for it. They,、uh, the team definitely helped me shape it out because I just kind of had like, oh yeah, Craig, you know, you should have a cousin come over, and that moment was inspired by my life of like I moved around a lot, so I was always someone who kind of felt like outside, you know, like I would come to the family gathering or something, and I'd been gone, and then I'd show up, and then it'd be cool and everything, but I always felt like, oh yeah, I'm just like kind of out here. <laughs> and、uh, you know, I have like a different life、uh, sort of thing.、But、I felt like,、mm. and in that, you know, I was kind of Bryson and Craig for it. You know, I've been Craig、yeah. where we've been in the suburbs, you know, and we things are going well. And then like my brothers on my dad's side would come visit,、uh, mm. and it was a completely different lifestyle to them, you know, or vice versa, where. You know, I was I was the the cool cousin that came to visit. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, <laughs> not me. You know, so it's like that. You know, and just like the family dynamic of like how they interact with each other and stuff like that. A lot of that was inspired, just like you know, beat for beat from my own family and things. You know, we've been through a lot together,、uh, but that has made us really close. So we're just always like joking and messing around, but we can have those moments where it's very serious. You know, and That's the kind of things I like to put into my work, you know,、uh, you know life in general, you know, sure <laughs> for people, not always easy,、um, but I've found it nice to go through,、uh, you know, things and try and look at the bright side, positive things, like things will get better, you know, and to have fun.、Uh, mm. I think like my imagination type things comes from like those moments where it's been tough, you know. So it's like, oh, what if this, you know. Uh, what if that? You know, it's like, oh, imagine this thing. We're putting it down on paper, saying something silly or drawing something silly to have like my siblings laugh or something like that. You know,、mm. yeah. Like I, I think I put myself into all of it and、uh, cultural background wise. You know, I think it's just I don't know. I, a lot of us do that. <laughs> you know. <laughs>、mm-hmm. So something else that you also been putting yourself into is the personal project that you've been working on, the Brothers Boom. Can you talk、yeah. to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I、uh, I want to preface this by saying that all the people who are waiting for it, I promise it's still coming. <laughs> it's, taking so, <laughs> it's taking so long,、uh, but I promise you,、uh, it's it's in good shape and it's being worked on.、Um, yes, it is a personal project of mine, a graphic novel, a very hefty one. It started out very small. Which when、uh, I doesn't annou- it always? <laughs> yeah,、uh, when I announced it, it was a very small thing. So, but as it ballooned, I was like, "Oh crap! I shouldn't have announced it."、Uh, but yes, <laughs> it's,、uh, it's a story about two brothers who they're bomb characters. You have to imagine if you don't know what they look like, they they look like little bomb characters,、uh, and they have the ability to explode. So their main job is to be demolitionists during the day, but their dream is to become Uh, rappers, <laughs> and they, uh, <laughs> they, uh, there's this thing. It's a very wacky story. There's this thing called、uh, Banksters Paradise where they get to perform on a stage, and the way that they can do that is by doing the most demolitionist jobs. But they have to do that.、Uh, they have to do it more than their rival named Moonstar,、uh, who is very good at what he does. 
because uh, he also wants to be a rapper. So it's a competition story about them. Uh, but over the course of the story, it's about figuring out their bond, you know, like they realize that the three of them are brothers, you know, together. So it's a very mm. like, it's very, very comedic. It's a very like comedy based <laughs> story. So please don't, don't, don't go in thinking it's going to be anything but silly, but there's definitely some substance there. A little bit of heart, you know, like I said, I like to put my stuff into it. So there's stuff like that, but it's mostly, mostly just a goofball story. I also forgot to mention, and this is going to sound even more wacky, that while they're trying to compete in this competition, the planet is being invaded by aliens. Uh, and, this, and this is, uh, you know, happening in the background, but it all coincides together. Um, so that all culminates in this 300-page comic that well, I'm still working on. Yeah, it's wow. over 300. Just a small project. Just, yeah, small, just a small, small super just a small, small scale. project. Yeah. Just really tiny. Yeah. 300 page. I would love book. to show you guys some stuff. I will, I mean, at least the people, you know, listening to the podcast, you just have to look out on social media. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I like showing things. It's just that it's hard to compile what to show online, mm. you know, so that's why uh, I just kind of work on it. And oh, totally. Yeah. Are you going to mm. um, post it on like a online webcomic site? Or are you going to get your own site? Or are you just going to publish it like uh, in print? Or what are you thinking? I'm definitely thinking of publishing it, you know, physically. Like, I do want to publish it. I might put, like, some of the pages or even, like, the whole thing up for sale online as well, but just, like, mm. a smaller version of it. Because I'm right... I, right now, I'm trying to figure out the logistics of getting it colored. Uh, and uh. that would be a pretty hefty task and very expensive. <laughs> so, I'm trying to figure that out. Ideally, I would like to publish it in color. Uh, so, if anything, the online version might be in black and white, but it would be the mm -hmm. story. I'm still figuring out the logistics of that. It's it's a lot of work, uh, is what I'm realizing. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But yeah, it's it's very big. And uh, while I am getting some friends to help me out with a lot of different parts of it, it's really tough to work on on my own and figure out everything on top of my daily responsibilities. I have a puppy now. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> now, now, now you're responsible of a life. Yeah, you know, so it's like figuring out these things, you know, but it'll come out, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, trick everybody. Uh, I would love <laughs> to be done with it uh, because I've been working on it for so long. Uh, it took a really long time to do the story. And what I'm realizing now is that, you know, I was able to thumb and rough out everything. It's all roughed mm -hmm. out story. The big thing is that there's a lot of things that I didn't design, you know, like, for example, there's a vehicle in the comic um, mm -hmm. that has like, you know, it's kind of important, uh, it has a name. So, I'm like, when I got to that part in the pages, I was like, well, there's no design for it. So, I have to figure out what this looks like. I've just been drawing a rectangle uh, or, you know, a box. So like, oh, you know, so, there's been lots of moments like that where I'm like, I don't know what this looks like. I just drew a placeholder kind of thing mm. you know it comes from the boarding even you know yeah, no oh, design yeah. team yeah no design yeah. team I, I, i'm the design team <laughs> it's like and i i'm such a tough critic on myself so I'm like <laughs> figuring things out so i'm designing as i clean you know and it's just taking a while uh, on top of just life stuff you know i have a significant other i have friends i have responsibilities you know like it's 
a lot. And I would say to people that that should always be your priority too. You know, you should live your life. Um, the art stuff, as long as you make time for it, you know, my main mm-hmm. gig is art things. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm always hitting that part. So, you know, the comic will always kind of be the backseat for now. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I have ideas for it and it's not even the only thing I'm doing. <laughs> so it's like very busy person. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. <laughs> well, uh, let's wrap up. So thank you so much for joining us today. Before we get into our final question. Where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to plug? Well, they could find me generally on Twitter or Instagram. Um, it's just my name on both. Uh, Deshaun Mahone or Deshaun.Mahone, I believe, on uh, Instagram. Uh, those are the main places. I post sometimes, but a lot of it I'm just like laughing at memes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's the. those are the main places. You know, I have a, a an old webcomic that I forgot to mention, actually, during this whole interview, which I only say is an issue because that webcomic has definitely gotten me a lot of my jobs, actually. Uh, <laughs> Do you mean Valorous Tales? Yes, Valorous Tales. It's, uh, it is not, it hasn't been updated in a very long time. <laughs> not because I hated it, but just because uh, I started to, this other project. But Valorous Tales... You know, that comic is still up there for people to read if they would want to check it out. I mean, because it it is what got me a lot. Like, every time I was hit up by someone online, it was because they liked my webcomic. And and I still get that. And I'm very oh. surprised because it has not updated <laughs> That's uh, awesome, in a very though. long time. But it's, yeah, you know, um, and I would say that that is a good, you know, a good thing to check out. So, I just wanted to plug that as well. Sure. I mean, we still got a little bit of time. Is there anything else you want to say? Yeah, it's it was the first kind of personal project that I took on. Um, the scale I didn't think about, you know, as opposed to this one <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I mean, I thought about the scale of this one and then completely botched it uh, by going way bigger. But that one was a fantasy webcomic and it also, you know, it just kind of was a love letter to RPGs and things that I liked. The only difference was that the main character was uh, African-American. Well, not mm-hmm. really. I mean, he is a fancy world, but you know, he's black. Uh, and uh, that <laughs> was something that I hadn't seen. So, I liked, mm-hmm. that was my kind of approach for it. And uh, yeah, I, I had a ton of fun and I still love the designs of the characters and would love to revisit that story someday. It's just that work took precedence and then um, I came up with this idea and this one was always supposed to be like a self-contained sort of thing. Mm. So, mm. it's like, let me just get this out of the way and I'll come back to Valor's Tales. Uh, and it's been years. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that one, yeah, uh, you know, check it out. Of course, I uh, even printed it at one point, like a redone oh. first chapter uh, in black and white. That was the first comic I had uh, printed and it's, it was super cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. one of my proudest things. It's definitely something that is a little rough around the edges because it's like my first uh, jump into self-publishing. But, you know, I, I, you know, I look at it with pride. I'm like, wow, I did this. Um, yeah. And it what inspired me to do the Brothers Boom because I was like, well, if I could do that, then I could do this, you know. But this one's a much bigger project as we've already talked about. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, Valor's Tales, it's still up. Uh, I don't want to take it down. I want, you know, people to see it. It's definitely gotten, because my voice is in it, you know, like my mm. approach to storytelling, 
my approach to character, it's all in there. And I would say, you know, not to make a story with the intent to get hired or anything like that, but you should make a story because it has you in it. You know, mm-hmm. it's going gonna, it's gonna to have your, your voice and your interests, you know, and not for anyone else, but for you. You know, I was doing that comic. I didn't think anyone was reading it. I legit, <laughs> like no one really, you know, I, I would hit maybe a few comments here and there from people outside, you know, just like, oh yeah, I like the comic that you have, you know, but n- nothing more than that. So it was like, you know, I was making it for me. It was like, oh, I just love that I'm able to tell the story with these characters. And I just didn't stop. And it got me so far in my career as an artist. Yeah, I, totally. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have predicted that. So, no, you'd be surprised what opportunities can come when you just create stuff that's just sharing your voice. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Yuki and I, um, for my like capstone project at San Jose State, uh, we made an animated graphic novel called Sol Naciente about a young boy who wants to grow up to be like a great luchador like his dad, but he just doesn't have the same physique. His dad's mm. this big muscular guy. And he's like this linky kind of skinny kid. And so he has to kind of learn how to lucha in his own different style to like win a match. And it caught attention of a couple of people. And like right now I'm helping freelance for like the Rey Mysterio animated series whoa that's being produced yeah so like and yeah the showrunners on that show found the comic liked the comic and then liked my work and they wanted to bring me on to help them yeah help them storyboard a few things out um help them out so that's been a lot of fun and that wouldn't have come if it wasn't for the sol naciente so that's been cool yeah that's amazing you've heard it here folks two examples examples of it just you know get out there and you know, tell your stories, you know, yeah. uh, I, I feel like uh, this is a wild thing to say because I, I want to make sure it's not you're doing this for the purpose of getting, you know, these opportunities, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. if you do that, not only will you be upset every time the, you know, the long opportunities don't come, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know, but you're also not enjoying it because you're just doing it for a silly reason. You need to be doing it because you truly enjoy it. I will say with my whole chest that I was not expecting to get anything from this, uh, you know, from Valor's Tales. And mm. I didn't really want to. I wanted to, there's the part of me that wants to continue Valor's Tales, you know. Mm-hmm. I love Craig and everything. And once my time is up with this, I would love to go back to working on my own projects, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. I think ultimately that's the goal, you know, to be able, and I think a lot of people come into the industry with dreams of working on their own thing, you know, yeah. and it's, that's, that should be the intent. You know, you'll find that, you know, if you're working on something you're very passionate about, that's when these other opportunities come and you're like, cool, but also I still want to do my thing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, so it's like, you know, I think you should be passionate about your own interests. And if you're not, don't feel bad. You know, I'm just some guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't. You don't have to be like. I don't have any other ideas. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, as we come to a close, is there any final advice you want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in the animation industry? Uh, I would say, you know, uh, well, it's kind of like what I was saying. You know, uh, working on personal stuff. I mean, get out there, meet people. You know, don't stick to your own bubble, I guess, you know, like Mm -hmm. I will definitely say that I was able to progress because I was very open to the idea of meeting 
people when I moved out here. I was like, I want to meet more artists and stuff. And it wasn't like, I want to meet more artists because I want to get a job. I was like, I was just genuinely where I was at in Atlanta. I had like two art friends, you know? Mm -hmm. So coming out here where like a lot of people were artists, it was so cool. I was like, oh, I'm so excited uh, to hear that. And if you make friends with people, they're just naturally going to want to work with you. So, you know, that's one bit. Work mm -hmm. on your art. If practice, be honest um, about your abilities. You know, if you know that there's more that you can work on, there's plenty of outlets and ways to improve your work. That goes into making art friends and stuff. Ask for feedback. You know, be open to criticism, but also be open to giving it. And, you know, I mean, actually apply for the jobs too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like people trying to get an issue, yeah, you should probably apply, uh, you know do that stuff. But I think the, the big things though are putting your work out there, you know, people mm -hmm. know who you are, uh, we, especially nowadays, social media mm -hmm. world, you know, just keep sharing your stuff. It could take a long time. I started my webcomic in 2013 and the first gig that I was offered for it was in like 2017 or something. So it's like, you know, uh, people had seen it before that, but 2017 was when it happened. So, you know, it could take a long time, um, but mm -hmm. just keep sharing your stuff. And then, you know, maybe one day you'll be on a podcast with real cool people. Talking about, <laughs> yeah, and you have a puppy that's chewing on your finger. <laughs> that's great advice. I hope that I wish that for many people. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us today, Deshaun. If you enjoyed our interview, dear listener, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love to discover new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Ashley Itliong. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.